0: We're starting a new sermon series, and it is entitled Salvation in the Old Testament, and we are looking at the book of Ruth. I encourage you to read through the book of Ruth, and then when you're done, read through it again, and then read through it again. It is short, it is an easy narrative to read, and it is a wonderful story from the period of the judges in the Old Testament. I consider the judges sort of like the colonial America, a time when there really wasn't a centralized government, but a time in which the people of Israel were seeking to live faithfully to God. They had their ups and their downs. And in this text, we find a wonderful story about a woman, her husband, her two sons, her two daughter-in-laws, and it's a story of redemption. I'd like to begin by taking you back to July 4th, 1980. It is a day that I will always remember because I received a phone call from California and my girlfriend Pat was breaking up with me. My mother later told me she thought it was hilarious that my girlfriend chose Independence Day to have independence from her boyfriend. At the time, I did not find that very humorous. However, my father said to me that letting go is about feeling bad for a few days and then moving on. I remember being crushed on July 4th, and a few days later, I remember thinking, it doesn't really bother me anymore. Now, of course, once I met Regina, I understood all of God's plan in my life, but at that point, it certainly was a process of being able to let go and move on. That's what I'd like us to see in the first chapter of the book of Ruth. Letting go is hard. Letting go is hard, yet it's a necessary part of redemption. It's a difficult thing to do. There's times in our life when we've all been called to let go, and this morning you may be in something in your life where it's necessary for you to be able to move on from something, and it's not as easy as somebody just saying, let it go and move on. It is a process, and we're going to be talking about it. That's why this morning's text is more than just letting go. And I'm actually talking about it as kissing goodbye, and I hope we see what that means as we work through this first chapter. My experience with the book of Ruth is that when I first became a follower of Christ, personally, I'd grown up in the church, but I really didn't have a personal faith. I was now a freshman in college And I wanted to go to a Bible study. And so I found a college-age Bible study that I started to attend. And they were studying through the book of Ruth. So it has a sort of special place also with me personally. Because now as a young Christian, it's where my journey of reading the scripture started from. And it's a story of this woman, Naomi, and her husband, Elimelech who are facing a tough time because there's a famine that is hit in Palestine or modern-day Israel. And they do what they think is the right thing to do. They move to Moab, and it is there that they have two children, two boys. And those two boys end up marrying women. And it looks like their life has really started over in this new place. But of course, as the story goes and as we're going to see this morning... The husband passes away, and then the two sons die. And now what we're left is a woman who literally could be crushed because of life coming down on her. And we have to go back to those days and think of how different it is from how we live today. This was a highly patriarchal society. And if you were a woman who your husband died and your two sons died, Everybody would say, hey, what's wrong with this woman? Now, that's an unfair way of looking at things, but that was the reality that this woman would have had in her life. And now what we find is God does his work, and that's that redemptive work. And the whole book of Ruth is how God works to bring redemption in her life, salvation for her and salvation for her daughter-in-law, Ruth. What's interesting is it also becomes a model for how we understand God's work of salvation in our own lives. Not only about things that need to be redeemed in our life, but our own personal experience with God, whereby we come to faith in Christ, have to let go of sin and things in our past, and we have to follow Christ, or we have the opportunity to follow Christ in a new way. It all begins in our life with how we plan. Every single one of us likes to plan one way or another. If you have a big vacation that's coming up, you probably have your plans. If you have kids that are going away to school, we make our plans. So much of life is about the plans we make. Now, some people do a better job of planning than others, but that's really where our text begins this morning as we protect our passage up here, you'll see that in verse 1, we're told that in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Yes, a famine had had hit Palestine, and now Naomi and Elimelech responded. And they had a kind of a common response. What would happen in the ancient world is if there was an economic problem in one place, that was an opportunity for people to travel and go somewhere else. Now, biblical scholars assume that this most likely took place during the time of Gideon because if you read the stories of Gideon, it was a time in which Israel had become disobedient and there was a famine that went through the land. But this young couple lives out of faith. They say, "Well, obviously God wants us to do something." So they trusted God, and they moved somewhere. It's interesting. They moved to Moab. It was a place where, according to Old Testament laws and rules, it was okay to go to. There was no restrictions whatsoever from their scriptures or anything that had been taught to them. It did what we all do. Something happens in our life. We make plans. Something's in the future. we make plans. We start thinking about stuff. We want to make our plans. What's also interesting is the town that they come from, don't miss that, it's a town of Bethlehem. Here's where the entire biblical narrative around this little sleepy village in Judah starts taking place. They have no idea when they're making plans that their little town, and they in particular, are going to be the ancestors of King David, but that's what God has in the future for them. And they certainly have no knowledge whatsoever that eventually they will be the ancestors of the Savior of the world, Jesus. All they're doing at this point is making their plans, figuring out life the way they think it should go, thinking, what do I need to do to move forward? You know, there's a problem with our plans, however. They usually don't go the way we expect, do they? When I was thinking about this text, it got me thinking about college freshmen, Now, both David and Todd, when they went to college, we, as parents, attended a symposium with each of them in which the president of the college addresses the freshman class, and they always tell the kids the same thing. You probably came here with your ideas and expectations of what college is going to be like for you, and hopefully you've already declared a major, because then you will be like 80% of all American college students. You'll change that major. We plan, we expect, and things just don't go the way we plan. Anybody ever have that experience here? We make our plans, we have our expectations, and it just doesn't go the way we want. Yes, we need to make our plans, but we know that our plans can and will change. That's why one of the wonderful Old Testament psalms is Psalm 119. In verse 105 it says, Thy word, talking about Scripture, God's word, is a lamp unto my feet. It's interesting that it's a lamp unto our feet because it doesn't say it's a bright looking into the future so I know everything in front of me. It's so that I know where to go next. Some people have compared it to a flashlight. If you're out in the woods and it's dark and you're lost in the woods, you pull out a flashlight, it's not going to tell you what's 200 yards away from you. It's going to tell you what's right in front of you. And what God wants us to understand is you and I can make our plans. We can plan our future. We can think of what's going to happen three months from now or a year from now or five years from now. And that's all good. You can sit down with your financial investor and they can give you the, the best ideas of what it can be. But in reality, what God's word tells us to do is look what's right in front of us. Look what's right here. Because, you know, stock markets can crash and companies can go out of business and all sorts of things can happen. And that's why once we make our plan, we then need to learn to live. But when we live, we live as life really is, not the way we want it to be. We live life as it really is, not the way we want it to be, no matter what our plans are. Life just has a way of coming at us, doesn't it? Now, sometimes those are positive surprises. Let's not make this all about negative. Sometimes it's great things. Sometimes, I still remember my friend Greg who called me up one day and he goes, Stan, you won't believe what happened. I go, what's that, Greg? He said, I got a letter. I said, awesome. He said, it was to our church. I said, great. He said, guess what it was? I said, I have no idea. It was a letter. He said, oh, it was a letter from a lawyer telling us that our church inherited some money. I said, wow, that's good. How much do you think it was? I go, Greg. I have no idea. How much was it? He goes, guess. I go, hundred thousand. He goes, more. I go, five hundred thousand. He says, more. I said, can I pass to your church? <laughs> three million dollars. Wow, you think that was a change? They didn't plan that. The day before, they didn't sit around and have a finance committee and say, now let's plan in case tomorrow we get three thousand or three million dollars in the mail. But that's what happened. A complete change that takes place. Sometimes life gives us positive, sometimes negative, but life has a way of coming. To us. And God knows our future, but we don't, so we plan and then we live the life as it really is. In verses three through five, for this young couple, Naomi and Elimelech, we read these words. But but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilon died. So the woman was left without her sons and without her husband. Naomi and Elimelech had planned, and they had two sons, and then Elimelech died. Now the two sons had planned, They'd taken wives, they got married. We can expect all the things that this young couple must have started these young couples had started thinking about. They made the plans the way everybody does. And now these two young men died. And again, and as I mentioned, consider the culture. This was not God's judgment in any way, but this certainly was a life change for these people. And that's why this part of the text begins with that most important of all words, but. But, I plan, but, Regina and I figure out what we want to do, but, and put it in for each and every one of us. But, in this case, there was a death, there could be a sickness, there can be coronavirus, there can be a stock market crash, There can be relationship problems. There can be good things, as I mentioned, you know, maybe a positive uh, inheritance comes through. Life just has a way of giving us that but, doesn't it? We plan, we do our thing, we live by faith, we trust God, and then we get life the way it is. The problem is, is when we as Christians somehow think that our Bible teaches us that, you know, if you just trust God, everything's going to go completely the way you want it. That's just not true kind of false gospel that people want to believe, and that's not what the Scripture teaches. What it teaches is no matter what life has to bring to us, we can continue to live by faith and trust the one who holds our future. Amen? Amen? No matter what life has to offer us, we can trust God who holds our future. It doesn't mean we're going to get everything the way we want it, and Scripture is so filled with stories of people who continue to live faithfully even when life hands them things they don't want. One of the stories we love to teach children in Sunday school is about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three guys who get thrown into the fiery furnace. And we love to tell how God saved them in the furnace. But I like to go back and, as my brother used to say, go back and see what the Bible actually says. Not that they don't get saved, they do, but go back and read the text and see how these people live by faith. If you turn to Daniel 3, 17 through 18, and again we'll project it up here, it says Nebuchadnezzar, these three men are standing and addressing the king who's about to throw them in the furnace, and he says, we have no need to answer to you in this manner. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver you out of our hand now if the bible ended there we'd have a problem because that would somehow imply that every single time that we trust god and believe in him he has to deliver the things the way that we want them but read what these guys say next but if not see they were completely prepared that they might burn this might be it They were faithfully loving and serving God, but they were prepared that God's able to do what God's going to do, but we're going to live by faith. And so they say these words, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I'll plan, I'll trust God, I'll live faithfully, and what they said is, even if it doesn't go the way I want it to go, I'll love God I'll trust him. I'll put my future in his plans and his purposes, and nobody can make me live different. Amen? That's how we're asked to live, to plan but trust God, to do our plans, to realize that life will take twists and turns we don't like. And even if that happens, we can stay faithful. Now, if you don't believe that one is enough to show us that Scripture lets us know things won't always go our way, Look at what the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 36 through 40. He said, by faith, others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. You think life didn't hand them some things they didn't like? You think these people of faith got everything they wanted? They were stoned. They were sewn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went out in. Skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of whom the world was not even worthy. Hear what it's saying? People of faith who live faithfully for God, who trust God no matter what, when life or people persecute or treat unfairly, when we pray for Christians throughout this world who are persecuted, who lose their lives, I'm sorry, the Scripture tells us the world's not even worthy of those who live by faith and trust even when things go wrong wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. In other words, these people who lived by faith didn't get what they wanted in life, but they got heaven, everlasting life. They set the path for all who serve and faithfully live. And sometimes in our lives, when things go different than how we want, it's not just about you and me. It's also about the legacy that we live our children and our church and our community and our grandchildren and how we live faithfully before them. When my mother and I had a conversation about her life and her health issues, and I said to her, Are you afraid of dying? And she said, No. Something has to take me out of this cruel world. And I realized when my parents went through some very tough personal things with their own physical health that they didn't complain about it. They didn't say that somehow they should have been exempt from it. My mom and dad had given up everything to move out to the Midwest to faithfully serve as a pastor and wife. And my dad went one time two years without a salary because the church that he was serving couldn't afford to pay him but they continue to live by faith and live faithfully. You don't think that those are things that make a difference to my life and my children's life and now my granddaughter's life? Because a legacy of living properly, no matter what life has to offer us, is what it means to be a person of faith. And that's what this young couple gives to us even when things go wrong. And that's what we find also with Ruth. Life as it really is does not guarantee that everything will be fair or go the way we want it to. That's why we're in the season of Lent. It's 40 days to consider Jesus who was unfairly treated, who was beaten, who was abused, who was ridiculed, who was betrayed by friends, who had one of his own disciples plot to have him arrested. I remember one time when I was complaining in my first church to one of the guys in... My church, who I got very close to, his name was Bob. And I said something about, I didn't like how somebody was treating me. And he said, what makes you so special? I said, what do you mean? He said, they killed Jesus, didn't they? What makes you think you're better than Jesus? Those words have always stuck with me. We live by faith. We make our plans. It doesn't guarantee that everything goes the way we want it to go, but we can still live by faith and make our plans and trust our Savior who loves us and cares for us and will get us through the tough times and will carry us beyond our experiences because faith is not just about everything around me going well. It's about us being okay in the midst of the chaos of life and trusting in a Savior who's forgiven us, who's given us life everlasting, the promise of the Holy Spirit to live within our lives. I've been doing some extra reading about John Wesley, who for a number of years, although he was a founder of a great movement within the church that gave birth to, eventually, this congregation, went through a period of time where he wasn't even sure if he was a Christian, and his friend Peter Bowler sat down with him and looked at him right in the eyes and says, well, you have the witness of the Holy Spirit in you, don't you? And Wesley had to say, no, I don't. And although he was a clergyman, and although he preached, he realized he wasn't a Christian. He had not really given his life to Christ. He had not experienced the salvation that comes from trusting in Christ and Christ alone and knowing that no matter what happens in life, he could be okay. And so there had been an experience where he was on a ship that was coming over to America so he could be a pastor in Georgia and bad storm happened, and all the Anglicans freaked out. And this group of Moravians who trusted in Jesus, who had experienced salvation and the Holy Spirit in their lives, sang hymns. And afterwards, he talked to them, and he goes, weren't you afraid? And they go, no. And weren't your women or children afraid? And they said, no, none of us were afraid. We just trust in God. God has our life. We trust in our Savior. You see, life does not give us everything we want, but we have a Savior who will get us through the storms of life. Life does not promise that everything will happen the way I would like it to work out. But the promise is, no matter what, if I have a relationship with Jesus, and he's living in my heart, and the Holy Spirit is indwelling me, no matter what we face, we can get through it, folks. And that's what happens with this family. And that's why the final thing we learn about Naomi, experiencing all of this tragedy that's happened in her life, she had to realize that there's some things in life she just had to kiss goodbye to. Some hopes and dreams and expectations. Some things that she thought life was going to go one direction, and now she realized it was going to go another direction. Because when we kiss goodbye, we can finally move on and have peace. Far too many people go through life holding on to some deep resentment or some anger or some frustration. And they say, you know, I planned this and I worked on this and it didn't work out. People will hold that for years. For years people will hold on to it. And yet the scripture says we've got to let go of stuff, folks. We've got to give it to God and be able to move on with our life. Verse 14, we read these words. Orpah Kissed her mother-in-law. Kissed her goodbye. Barba kissed her goodbye. Naomi had had all this experience. Everything that had gone on. All the things that she'd had to face. Now she's standing with her daughter-in-laws and she's realizing that she needs to move on with her life. She doesn't sneak out at night. She could have done that. The Bible could have said... And Orpah snuck out in the middle of the night and shut a door on the past and refused to think about it, at which point it would have continued to haunt her the rest of her life. It could have said that Orpah gets, Naomi gets angry and frustrated and upset and holds her resentment and blames God and lives the rest of her life in misery. Instead, it says that she kissed her daughter-in-law goodbye. She came to a realization that all the stuff that she and Elimelech had hoped for, all of the dreams that they'd had with their two sons, had some good things and some things that she could celebrate. But at the same time, it meant she had to let some stuff go. Now, we're going to be looking at Ruth, one of the the two daughter-in-laws, who, as the text told us, clings on to her and goes into a future, and we're going to see redemption and salvation. But this morning, let's focus on the fact that This woman, who had all this tragedy in her life, had to come to closure and move back to Judah. Moving on is hard work. Think now what Naomi is going to face. She kisses her daughter in law goodbye and wishes her well and sends her back with her people with the Moabites. She's never going to see her again. And now Naomi knows when she reappears with her family and her friends and everybody who knows her. And here's what's happened. They're going, what a mess your life is, honey. Wow, that's too bad. And if she holds on to that and lets that eat her, it'll take her down and she'll never have anything good in her life. But she didn't just walk away and shut the door. That's not what she did. She didn't go back in disgrace and humiliation. Instead, she kissed her daughter-in-law goodbye. She wished her well. She wished the people of... Moab well. She says, I need to come to terms with the stuff that didn't work out in my life. I need to accept it and I need to realize that plans didn't always go the way I wanted to, but now God's going to do something else in my life. That's why one of my favorite movies is the movie The Lion King. And I love that moment where Simba is out running away from everything and he's out in the wilderness alone. He's experienced his two friends, Timon and Pumbaa. And Rafiki, the old baboon, comes and finds him there. And basically, Simba hasn't learned to move on with his life. He's learned to hide his past life. He's learned to bury it, to stuff it, to think that somehow, if I can just ignore the stuff that's painful in my life and the death of my father and the dreams and the hopes that I had in my life, then somehow maybe I'll find some peace. But instead, it just keeps bubbling up in him because that's what happens. If we try to stuff our past or ignore our past or suppress our past or run away from it, it just comes back and haunts us. And so Rafiki walks up to him, and he takes a club, and he whacks him over the head. The little lion says, what'd you do that for? And the old baboon says, what does it matter? It's in the past. And then he takes the club... And he takes it and he whacks it again. And this time the lion moves his head back. And Rafiki says, ah, you can't change the past, but you can learn from it. We can come to deal with our past. We can come to accept our past. We can come and kiss goodbye the things that we need to wish well and accept the fact that, okay, that's where God had me for a season, but now I need to go somewhere else. In kissing orpa goodbye. Naomi honored her and her past, and she wished Orpah well, and she wished the people well, and now she's ready to emerge in the next part of her life. It also made it so that Ruth, who clings to her, that together they are able to forge a future together. This happens in our life all the time, but it becomes incumbent upon us to give up the anger, the bitterness, the frustration, the constant thinking that somehow things should have been different, and how could they have happened the way that they did, instead of how we wanted them to it made me think as I was preparing this message about the death of my mom and my dad my mother passed away first and then my father had died and after my dad died he had donated his body to the University of North Dakota Medical School and in so doing we didn't know when his remains would be given to us and we had to wait a year we didn't hear anything We waited another year, and we received a phone call from the funeral home that my father's cremains had been sent to us. And we came over to Mayflower Cemetery in Duxbury, and because I was a pastor, my family decided that Mom and Dad had now passed away, and they wanted me to do the final graveside service, and so I did that. And when the graveside service was over and I said my final amen, my oldest brother turned to my middle brother and myself, and he said, Why don't the three of us boys take dad's remains and put them in the hole? And the three of us did that. And my middle brother turned to us and said, there's something quite final about that, isn't it? And I realized at that moment, I was kissing my dad goodbye. I was saying goodbye. I could accept it. I could move on. I have pictures of my dad in my office, and I love to talk about him but I was able to come to terms with the fact that a chapter in my life was over and a new chapter was going to be completely happening. I had the same experience with a bishop who I really didn't like. Some of you have heard me have some conversations about a time in my life where we had a bishop that that bishop and I just did not see eye to eye. And I remember when the bishop retired and a number of other pastors who were like me, who also did not get along with that bishop, heard that there was going to be a retirement party, and they said, well, they were all going to go out to eat instead of going to the party. And I said, no, I need to go to it. And I said, fine, do what you need to do. And we're in a place at Gordon College, a big chapel, and I remember sitting there listening, kissing goodbye to a time of my life, wishing the bishop well moving on, coming to terms with it. And when it was over, I realized I could move on. I could let it go. It's interesting, recently I had need for help of somebody. I contacted that bishop and had that bishop help me with something. I never could have done it if I hadn't come to terms with some anger and hurt and pain and some things I had done wrong and some things that I felt I'd been wronged in. There are times in our life when we are Naomi. We can talk about salvation. We can talk about redemption. We can look at the stuff that God wants to do in our life. But in order to move forward, there are things in our life we literally need to kiss goodbye. We need to wish it well. We need to wish the others well. We need to get rid of the anger and the resentments. And I'm hoping during Lent, as we work through the book of Ruth, that we can begin by coming to terms in your life and my life with things that may be unresolved because that's what God wants for us. He wants the best for you and for me. But it doesn't happen when we continue to hold old angers and resentments and things that hurt us and take us down. So as we close our service and we sing our final song, if there's something that you're struggling with that you just need to have prayer for, we invite you during this song to please come forward for prayer.